Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, all of our listeners from around the world. Shout out to Candy in California and Mars in Canada. Hi, hope you're listening. Welcome to She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, welcoming you from rainy Manila. And my co-host... Hi, everyone. This is Dina Zaman from Iman Research Malaysia. And in Kuala Lumpur, we're having a heat wave with rains in the evening. Hello again to everyone. Amina, how are you? Well, so far, so good, Dina. It <laughs> uh, could be better. But how about you? Is your mom okay? Have you gone to visit her? Have you taken her out shopping? Okay. Even before that, she's already started shopping with my dad, dragging my father here and there. Um, hmm. They have a more active social life than me, Amina, which is pretty really? sad. <laughs> so they're here, there, everywhere. They popped by my apartment last week. So this coming weekend, I'll be with them. So yeah, but you, how are you? Yeah, how's your well, mom? Well, I haven't visited my mom um, in at least uh, two months because... You know, I'm a senior citizen, Dean. I have to admit it finally. And uh, my government has a serious lockdown for senior citizens. We can't even leave the house. We're not supposed to leave the house. Can you imagine? So everything is in Zoom. Last month, we had several birthday celebrations in my family. And you know what we did? We had parties by Zoom. My sisters... Fatima and Salma, who are right. who live with my with our mom and who care for her, uh, right. they prepared party food. Even though the celebrants are brothers in in uh, the United States, one is in yeah. California yeah. and one is in Maryland. So okay. it's it's crazy. I mean, don't you think it's strange that we are now starting to accept this kind of celebration via yeah. Zoom as normal? Is that is that the new normal, Dina? Is it the same in I mean, KL? It's the same in KL, and I know. I think I mean, you know, right? I had a few tragedies this year. Yes. So funerals, prayers were all conducted over Zoom. They weren't the best, you know, of uh, events to attend on a computer, but we had no choice. And I think right now, 
we're all going to be doing that a hybrid of real life, you know, events mm. and virtual events. Mm-hmm. No choice, lah, as we say, you know. Yeah, and the thing is, there's so much time. We have so much time on our hands. Yes. And you know what I did because I have so much time and I've been feeling really guilty. Uh-huh. I've been going through our stuff, right. uh, cleaning out the cabinets, looking for you know still good things that we could donate uh, to institutions that collect old stuff and sell right. them. I mean, um, do you have Goodwill or or Salvation Army in KL? They collect no. your junk because your junk is somebody else's treasure. And then they open thrift shops. They they sell those stuff, and the money they raise, they give to to the poor. Yeah. It's all for charity. Do you have that in KL? We do, we do. I mean, it's not Goodwill or Salvation Army. I think mm. we have the Red Crescent, the Malaysian Red Crescent, that does uh-huh. that. We have a couple of NGOs, and we also have what they call clothing banks, food banks. Yeah. You know, so in that sense, we're okay. We're quite good with that. You know. Well, you should really, you know, try and yeah. and collect your yeah. old junk and and donate. Them. Oh, I did that. I did. <laughs> I live in a compound. There are ten yeah. households, ten uh, families right. in in our compound. Yeah. So I thought better than just me donating and Goodwill or Salvation Army coming and just picking up my junk. I asked all yeah. the neighbors if they wanted to donate, and uh-huh. um, they said yeah. So. So far, you know what I've accumulated, gathering dust in my attic and in my cabinets. Oh my God, Dina. It's not just old clothes, shoes. I have chairs. I uh-huh. have an old carpet. And it's, right. it was once a beautiful carpet, but because it's been in the attic, I think the rats got into it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I've got <laughs> lamps, lots and lots yeah. and lots and lots and lots of books, pots and pans, uh, cutlery, but but as I was cleaning my my yeah. drawers, I found a beautiful scarf that uh, I had been looking for for a long time. It was a Gucci mm-hmm. scarf, and it was given to wow. me by a family friend. Um, her name is Gemma Cruz, and you're not going to believe who she is. Okay, I don't know who she is. Is she a politician, an ambassador? Who? Who was Gemma? Well, she was sort of a politician as well but uh-huh. Gemma Cruz uh, who became Gemma Cruz Araneta is uh-huh. the first Filipina to win an international beauty pageant right she was Miss International in 1964 uh-huh. I was a kid when she won but I was so amazed with uh, her performance you know the yeah. other contestants they had those intricate hairstyles And yeah. Gemma just had her long, lustrous black hair combed down, so uh-huh. very natural. And um, her intelligence just uh, shone through uh, in the wow. Q&A. But more than winning, more than being beauty and brains, the first thing she did was she donated her prize money to an institution for homeless kids. It's, it, it's uh-huh. called Boys Town. Right. And her career has got nothing to do with the uh, personal beauty. All right. She's a writer uh-huh. and she spent a lot of time uh, involved in culture, trying to right. save Philippine landmarks from destruction. Right. She even became secretary of tourism. So that's where the little politics comes in. Isn't that amazing, Dina? 
Oh, this is really fascinating. And this is in the 60s, yeah, Amina? 64, Miss International. Wow. Well, look, we've got a modern day beauty with brains. Um, really now. Friend, yeah. And I don't know whether you're familiar with her, but in Malaysia, she's such a well-known name. And not just because, you know, she won international, you know, beauty pageants and all, but really, I think sometimes, well, I hope, you know, our friend is not, you know, uh, offended, but I just feel that her greatest work, which is actually coming out right now, right, is more than just attending beauty pageants, mm. um, you know, and I've always liked to work. I've interviewed her before and I thought, oh, this is fantastic what she does because not many people would do this. So I really would like to introduce you to uh, Miss Deborah Henry. Yeah, she is a founder of Fuji School and Fuji La. So Fuji School is the one where, you know, they educate refugees, especially Somali refugees. And Fuji La is a social enterprise which she created. So you've got beautiful earrings, which I really should get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should, you and, should. You know, yes. And, you know, she also holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science and economics from the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. And when I look at what she does on Instagram and also Facebook, right, you know, I see that more and more of her path is focusing on human rights advocacy and sustainable development with a long-term goal to eradicate poverty. So as I said, I met her maybe 10 years ago when I went to her school. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, places in Malaysia where they say they want to help the poor and all. And it can be very, you know, very polished, right? But I remember that, you know, Deborah went to the ground. You know, her school was in a place where a lot of people may say it was unsafe. But I just say, hey, kudos to her. She did it. And look at them. They're thriving. They're getting scholarships. They're going abroad. So, yes, that's Deborah Henry in a nutshell. So shall we bring her on board? Yes, yes, we should. So Deborah, are you ready? Yes. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi Deborah. Hi, Amina, Dina. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, being a, a sort of a flower on the wall and listening to both of you chat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was thinking when, when uh, Dina was um, uh, describing you? Have you watched that, that movie with Sandra Bullock? Miss Congeniality, um, yes. and they yes. ask the question, and uh, what do you wish? Yeah. And she says, a stiffer loss for <laughs> fathers who don't uh, pay you know, the support and, world, yes. and yes. world peace. So here we've got a, uh, a beauty queen who really is working for, for world peace. And the I know question, it's... yeah, yes. but, but the question I really wanted to ask Dina. Is uh, Deborah? How how did you get into into yeah. this um, area of of working with children, of of helping children? Very much unlike my history or experience in the beauty pageant world. It was not something I ever wanted to do. I I wasn't one of those little girls at the age of five who was you know I wanted. To be <laughs> it, it wasn't a thing. I was actually quite the tomboy. I sort of stumbled into it and I always say I'm sort of the accidental beauty queen, but it did offer me something very valuable. And I think Gina touched a little bit on it. Yeah. It was a platform. Uh, and then of yeah. course you can do many things in life with different kinds of stepping stones and platforms. But for me, it really offered me this wonderful platform uh, where you get the kind of media attention and the spotlight to talk about issues that matter. Right. And that's really why I actually did join the first uh, pageant in 2007. But um, to answer your question, what uh, I can't pinpoint a specific thing, but growing up 
my family made all of us, um, my siblings, acutely aware of what the world was like. Mm -hmm. um, I, I grew up in a mixed mixed parentage household. My mother's Irish, my dad's Malaysian, and you know we we traveled a fair bit, and we were acutely mm -hmm. aware of, of you know different cultures and what different lives can be like, and the fact that there are many people who go without. And so I, I do remember sitting, you know, in the afternoons with my granddad and asking him, like, you know, why do people suffer? Perhaps very innocent and naive questions, but you know, why why is that that there's suffering and poverty when the world has so much? Or you know, don't other people see the wars and, and the pain? How can we not help? And perhaps very simple, simplistic questions, questions that perhaps we still ask today and yet still don't have the right answers. So yeah, that was kind of it for me. And I started modeling when I was 15 years old, so very young. I once again was exposed to a lot of the world and, and society and people. I moved to London and even throughout all of it, I think my heart was very much with looking at poverty and development and basic rights and pathways mm. that should be there for all people. Because it, it, to what breaks one's heart the most of for me is that to see someone not be able to reach their potential because they lack that opportunity. To see that kid who doesn't get to finish yeah. school or has to quit. A smart kid that could have gone to university but now has to drop out of high school to, to yeah. earn to get a job to earn money. It was that kind of stuff that just gets me. Um, and, and so... Yeah, and, and moving on from that, I, I came back from university and, and through a lot of volunteering opportunities, eventually started my nonprofit, Fuji. So I think putting yourself out there is important, exposing yourself, experiencing stuff, and eventually yeah. you land somewhere, right? Deborah, I, I remember meeting Shikin, right? One of your best friends and also the founder. And I think... Okay, I was with the media then and I met that she was just starting this with you. Yes. So, you know, we, we were all feeling our way all those years ago. Like, how do we do this, <laughs> right? I mean, did you have a plan? Did both of you have a plan or did you just say, okay, we'll just figure this out along the way? So, my introduction to, to refugees in Malaysia was, was literally just before that. It was in 2008. UNHCR reached out to me wanting me to host a small documentary that they were shooting. So I actually met four refugee families living in Malaysia, not far from our glorious Twin Towers. And I was really taken by what I saw, especially um, this one Somali family and the four siblings. I went to their home, sat in their home with them, and they had come from Somalia with their grandmother, who shortly, who died shortly after. So they were pretty much kind of orphaned here. And I remember leaving their home that day. And this was a very defining moment because it wasn't this, all right, I'll give them some money. And, you know, hopefully this documentary helps, uh, you know, create some awareness. It was, I need to do something. These kids you know, people talk about food, water, and shelter as basics for survival, but a life without an education in today's world, we're setting our children up for failure. So for me, it was, I need to do something. Education needs to be a solution somewhere here. Um, and we started um, giving, uh, giving them tuition. So that's when I wrote Chicken in. I was like, Chicken, you're going to spend your weekends giving math tuition. So she did math. I did English for about six months with this family. And then the following year, we we obviously realized it wasn't sustainable. By then we met a few more uh, of the community and uh, we decided to start this small school really with 60 students. Yeah, and fast forward uh, 12 years now, we've probably educated over 500, 550 students from over seven, eight countries. And, and, and Malaysia is a transit point for refugees, right? So no one's here permanently. They flow through Malaysia to other countries. Yeah. So 
they're here for anything as long as 10, 12 years. I've had refugees, um, they've grown up with me, with me mm-hmm. but also then as short as two years. So, so that was really it. And I, and, I, and I volunteered a lot before in different areas. I never did think I wanted to work specifically with children and, in, and education, but sometimes that's the journey leads you there, right? You know, I was, I was just thinking when you were talking about uh, refugees and uh, and children, are you are you in touch with the groups that are trying to organize um, sanctuary for the Afghan refugees, especially for the young, the Afghan girls who are in great risk? Yes. So in Malaysia, it's a little bit harder because of, of you know, uh, I guess our policy and our laws towards refugees. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't believe uh, our, our government officially has offered some some sort of form of a sort of sanctuary for refugees to come here, uh, specifically Afghans. But I do know that we have we have about two hundred two thousand Afghan refugees in Malaysia. Um, and recently, I actually worked. I think for me, it was focusing on what I can do here, right? And mm-hmm. so working with a bunch of the girls, incredibly talented artists, like just incredibly talented. Um, oh yeah. And we, we helped put together an art exhibition for them and wow. to help them sell their art. So you have all these girls who can sell their art and it gives them a decent amount of money that they can survive on. And so money that they can send family back there. They can support on support their families here. So Dina, that's going to be the new product line of Fujila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was actually thinking, you know, because Amina, when we last met in 2019, right? Oh my this God, two years. <laughs> South China Pearl Seas from the refugees, the women refugees of Marawi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, okay, I don't know how Amina's marketing this, right? Because I couldn't find your website. And I just thought it'd be great if both of you met because there's so much that you, I mean, your values are aligned. We're all trying to do, you know? There must be a way that we all can work together. But on that note, I'd like to ask you, you know, I think some of the listeners, right? I know they're enjoying, they'll, they'll enjoy this conversation, but they're probably going to wonder, like, how does this fit into the women, peace and security agenda? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> I guess many ways, right? It really depends on their interest, interest levels. Everyone has very specific focus areas, perhaps. And, you know, sometimes when you're doing this kind of work, it can get so overwhelming and you just want to like zoom in and focus on what you're doing because otherwise it's just too much going on. But I, I think this, there are always lessons to be learned from everything and anything people do. People ask me sometimes like, who are your idols? And, and that's always a question that I struggle to answer because I, I really admire, for me, I, I look at what the average person does, what you know special people do and pick and choose things that they do that work that I, that I like and, and be able to apply it to myself. So there's always... There's always different ways of being being able to learn from each other, um, and especially I think in peace building, how different people do it in different areas and different cultures. But something that sort of stands out to me when I when I think peace building, it's it's building bridges. You know, if I were to use that phrase, and especially mm-hmm. especially in today's world where we're so globalized, we're so connected, we're so fluid. We've seen time and time again, especially with COVID nineteen, that you know. A problem here becomes a problem there. You know, you, you can't just draw lines and divide yourselves. It's in all in your imagination and, and it's not a reality. So really, I think building bridges of tolerance, of under, not just tolerance, but understanding. I think true and honest understanding and respect. And bridges really work both ways. You know, if I were to quote, uh, I was watching this recent Dave Chappelle's comedy. I do quite like him. He's uh, like most comedians, somewhat crass at times, but 
you know, uh, little uh, nuggets of wisdom. And, and he, he did say something which I found really important. We live in a world that's increasingly very judgmental. And we, we have this cancel culture that a lot of the young people on, on the internet subscribe to. And, you know, one person makes a mistake and we crucify them for it. So it's, it's really important that to realize that life is, a, it's, everything is a two-way street. You give and you get, you give and you take. And so respect, rights, responsibilities, I really that part, it works both ways. Yeah, I think that for me sort of like almost is foundational. And I think especially in, in the past 12 years working with the refugee community in Malaysia, even a topic of conversation I just had this morning was peaceful coexistence. How do you have groups of people that come to Malaysia hmm. for peace, to live a, to live a more peaceful life for protection, right. which is completely something that's within their right. And it should be as a universal human right. But how do they assimilate or adapt or integrate or mm-hmm. peacefully live with the local cultures, with the host cultures? And what are whose roles and responsibilities in this, right? And understanding each other. So, you know, a recent apartment unit in Malaysia recently came up with a, they had a sort of an AGM meeting and they came up with this thing that no Somalis and Sudanese can live in that apartment anymore. Wow. And it's, I literally saw it in black and white and it's a sentence there. Wow. Is it discriminatory? Yes. Is it racist? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to understand before we throw our hands in the air and, and, you know, freak out about it, we need to take a step back and understand why from all sides, why it's happening and what led to this and the roles and responsibilities on all sides, right? So mm-hmm. these are very real on the ground things. It's very, it's very easy to go on Twitter and Instagram and put up a post and make noise. But at the end of the day, it's really respect, tolerance, understanding, how do people mm. really live together? And we have beautiful stories and examples of it. You know, humanity is ultimately more good than it is bad to show for all of that. But yes, I think, I think that's when I think peace building peaceful coexistence, especially in, in, you know, 2021 with what's happening in the world. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good yeah. point. The necessity of building bridges. But Dave Chappelle, he got into trouble, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the um, LGBTQ community didn't like what he said. But, you know, I find that in a way a little on the extreme side because, you know, freedom of speech and yeah. uh, that's, that's what Dave Chappelle does. Yes. Is to you know knock <laughs> down everybody's and yeah. what do you yes. call it an equal opportunity critique. So, mm-hmm. but but anyway, that's that's the American. Well, he but- just had a new uh, he had his new uh, one hour show on Netflix. So it actually addresses your point. So you should, if you not <laughs> watch it, you should watch it. <laughs> All I right. will, I will. But the the idea of uh, building bridges, you know, we in Southeast Asia. We used to be so proud of being very pluralistic. I mean, most of our countries are are multicultural, multi-ethnic. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We lived in peace with, uh, with everybody else. But in the last 20, 30 years, things have been changing in a region and lines are being drawn. Divides are, you know, the walls are, are getting really harder and harder Mm -hmm. and then when you look at what's going on in the west which supposed to be you know free and completely pluralistic and democratic and you see them storming the capital and believing a lie and then you see the impact of this development on our countries the challenges are are so much deborah how do you cope with this overwhelming pressure to kind of crush our pluralistic space? Oh gosh, I wish I had that, that answer, something that gives me sleepless nights. Uh, yeah. And especially, and I agree with you in Southeast Asia, we, and I think Dina and I have had quite a few conversations about this, you know, um, yes, who, are, who are the ones, and probably Dina is probably the better person to answer, but who are the people that are drawing these lines? And, mm-hmm. And why do we let them in a way, you know, society, at the end of the day, we're all on the street together, we eat together, we do so much together, but it's this little whispers that tend to just constant right. whispers of stuff that's perhaps not the most positive thing that eventually, if someone keeps drumming the same thing, has its, has its effect on you. And another thing that I've also taken a lot of interest in lately, and I think I've also spoken to Dina about this, is knowing our history. That is something that I find it's so intriguing that we are so opinionated and so connected mm. in our opinions and mindsets, but sometimes so grossly wrong. Um, <laughs> we don't realize it's even, I asked a simple question, like, where do you come from? Where do we all come from? Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and, and yeah, so it's, it's, you know, I think it's that taking that breath, taking that step back and really being, you know, we come, I think the thing is we come from this place of fear and yeah. scarcity and this identity crisis, perhaps, that leads us to then hold on so much. And if anyone says anything, we can't accept mm-hmm. it. Yeah. How do we move from that? I'm a big believer in, in being able to have that conversation. I think schools are that place mm-hmm. for that kind of conversation, for that dialogue, and then and, and that history telling. But of course, I'm not going to hold my breath for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, things like that, it's big, nature. It's, it's it's, it takes time, it takes generations. <laughs> So I'm very enlightened to see there was actually a recent post and I shared it on my on my Facebook. A, a few organizations came together and, and they're encouraging people to like understand, I think it was very history driven to so looking at data, understanding their past, why asking those right questions. And, and this is where I think the role of civil society of the private sector can actually yeah do a lot more of that and and, and I think it's that one-on-one influences if you know the right politician the, the right leadership yeah. to have those kind of conversations with them and to see that narrative come out um, is yeah. important because I, I look at this example look how fast the world got everybody illiterate rich poor village yeah. to mask on to, to everyone knows yeah. SOP now put your mm. mask on sanitize yeah. even five-year-olds are doing it how fast was that take-up of knowledge and so 
I really think if there's a will, there's a way. If you, if you really have something quite clear you want to get across to society, it can be done. Well, Dina, Ooh. what do you yeah. think? How are you going to use your, your podium and try and expand our pluralistic space a little bit more? How do you deal with those hate mongers, Dina? I mean, I, I know, <laughs> Dina, let's, let's give them some of uh, Deborah's jewelry. Deborah <laughs> said, no, 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 don't waste. No, I, th I think this is a, a valid question. You know, there is so much hate. And okay, the Southeast Asian Women Peace Builders will be creating a summit, you know, uh, I think in November. I believe Amina will be part of it. And I think we're sending an invitation to you, right, Deborah? Mm -hmm. But we are going to be talking about what we're seeing, the rise and rise of hateful extremism. And it doesn't seem that to, you know, I don't think it's going to go so soon, not in Malaysia, yeah? Mm. How do you deal with this? And we had this meeting this morning. How do you engage with people who are determined to hate, you know, mm. refugees or people who are not like them, you know? It's not going to be easy. And one of the things that they all suggested is, okay, why don't we lobby? And we will see, but who is going to lobby for all this? This is a lot of work. You know, we've got things to do, you know, Deborah runs Fuji and Fujila, you know, but it's something we have to do all around Southeast Asia. I've been listening to a few webinars also, and I think a lot of Indonesian academics and researchers, even in the Philippines, in Vietnam and all, are actually noticing that, okay, it's going to get worse. I yeah. don't know whether it's going to get any better, but it will get worse. Now, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to push that, Deborah, through the work that you do? And, you know, and this is something that I, we've asked ourselves so many times as refugees, we've tried all kinds of campaigns to get people to change their minds, essentially. And I think there are those camps, of, there's a group of people that are, that where human rights to them, they get it. They get it and they can see, they might not agree with everything, like mm -hmm. that's very normal, but they can see why somebody needs to be here for protection. They can respect that as long as you, you know, do your part in a way. But then there's another group that I think are so fearful of. It's a, it's a zero sum, it's a, this like, you know, binary, I win, you lose type thing, right? So it's in order for you to get something, something is going to be taken from me. So there's a lot of, I feel, fear that comes, that comes into play there. And these group of people are very susceptible to like what media says. And the media mm -hmm. plays, I think, a huge role in this. Even till today, I read articles of uh, illegal immigrants. That's how they word it. They don't break mm -hmm. it down to to refugees, to stateless yeah. people, to yeah. economic migrants. There's a lot of misinformation there, even from the get-go, as to what it is. And, and then this is actually, I was reading this book, and they're saying that the media today, and I'm obviously generalizing, but the media today is actually like the, one of the biggest drugs. It's like what the media is today to the world, what sugar is to the body. Mm -hmm. And how toxic it can be. Because yeah. like you say, what is truth? What is not truth? And how susceptible is the human mind to believing all sorts of stuff? Um, so people have agendas and they will push it through. But what we try to do, um, and we do this in a very small scale, is I think it's a lot of these interactions, right? And so that's why through Fuji, Fuji School, our school, it's interacting with the local government schools. It's interacting with volunteers. It's our students doing things for Malaysia, like projects that look at the Malaysian environment. Pay it, pay it forward initiatives mm -hmm. where they, they feed at soup kitchens. And even through our, our social business, Fujila, with the jewelry that we make, yes, we make pretty mm -hmm. things that we sell, but every interaction with somebody is an Ooh. opportunity. Every time someone buys our product and they learn a little, about what, a little bit about what we do, 
they meet one of the girls who makes our necklaces. There's that education piece that comes in there. And that scary monster seems far less scary today. So I, I think there's that big whole nation, overarching nation, national kind of difficult monumental challenge, which is very media driven. Uh, but I also think it's the individuals and on our, it's at one-on-one -on -one individual level where, where you can actually, I guess, have that change with mindsets and, and interactions. I think we always fear what we don't know. And the moment you meet that person, you go, wow, they have the same concerns as me. You know Amina. what, uh, we need, um, what we really need are more uh, influencers like, uh, like Deborah. In fact, yes. you know what, Dina, maybe oh. Deborah can lead the charge in bringing together uh, beauty queens to become ambassadors for peace. I mean, in the Philippines, we've got so many of them, Malaysia, Malaysia does too, but you know, that's, right. that's another project entirely. Yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about is, yeah. um, Deborah's uh, jewelry mm -hmm. yeah. because I, 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 I was just looking at the designs and they're really incredible and I could imagine that you're also using this as a way to generate income for those who, who make yes. them and I was, um, I was wondering if you could tell us more about the impact of this ability to earn to the young women, the girls and their families who are making these little works of art and earning enough um, for, uh, for themselves. Yes, uh, no, absolutely. We all know the value an individual right. gets when they're able to work and earn and that satisfaction right. to, to be of value, right? To contribute right. your skills and do something. Um, and, and that's very special to the human spirit. But I've also seen the side of, of a generation of, of, of individuals who come here um, from, for example, Somalia and, and other war-torn countries where they've been so deprived of being able to study and to work and to earn and to take care of themselves. They've almost become victims of their situation and circumstances. And it really debilitates them and they lose that sense of self. Right. And even when they then come to Malaysia and have opportunities, some opportunities here to do for themselves, they can't. They're so reliant on others. And so a big part of the conversation is moving. And this is why we talk about charity. It's always moving from a place of dependence to mm, a place yeah. of self-reliance. Mm -hmm. It's so important, I, I believe, with any nonprofit work. Of course, there are special, special circumstances, but being, being stuck in a dependent zone for long right. is never, never a good thing. And so yeah, never. Yes, and it's more hard, and it's harder for us here because refugees are not allowed to work legally. So mm. how do you become self-reliant if you can't earn an income, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge barrier. But so what we tried to do with Fujila was in setting up this social business, it's a business, it needs mm -hmm. to be profitable, but the, the core of it is that we, were, we would build a profitable business that could financially support and contribute to the running of Fuji School, play a role in, in educating the children, right? That was the first yeah. impact. And the second is offering job opportunities to refugees. So we're not trying to, you know, we're, we're not trying to just go big and huge. We're trying to have, have um, we're trying to go deep. And so we've been working with four to five refugee youth over the past mm -hmm. uh, three to four years, and they learn skills. So they yeah. learn not only how to make jewelry, some of the jewelry, but also their customer facing. So when we have pop-ups, they manage our pop-ups, they do inventory management, they run in the business. They're, they're doing A to Z and also opportunities to see how you, how you start a business. And this gives them an incredible sense of independence, 
how to manage their finances, helps them support their families, okay. further their education as well. And also to show that, you know, I mean, it's really kind of sad to say this, but any individual refugee or otherwise, they, they have value to bring. And, and, and I think the conversation here is that refugees in Malaysia can contribute to the economy. They have value to add and by them working, they earn and they spend and that's positive and helpful for the economy. Um, so it's not just about they're here to take from us, they're here to, to live, to survive, but to contribute and to contribute yeah. and to help grow. So, yeah. um, so I think a lot of people, when they, when they meet Fujila, they meet, see us, they see what we're doing, they like the product. We also have very exciting collaborations. We've collaborated yeah. with Uniqlo. Yeah. Um, Uniqlo, my favorite yeah. store. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've collaborated yeah. with them on some, on some fantastic initiatives and also like some local, uh, like Malaysian designers. We've done, we've done initiatives where we use upcycle fabrics. So mm -hmm. there's a whole piece about consciousness in your decisions and how you spend your money and in, in how you live your life. Right. And, and I, so I think that's where we, we're not just doing the refugee education right. part, but we're also looking at a holistic view of just, you know, making better choices, um, making better choices. And, and that's why we use the tagline, small pleasures, big impact, where little things, little pleasures of jewelry can actually have a big impact on somebody else's life and on change, on, on change. Yeah, that's wow. going to make Dina and me feel less guilty <laughs> when we... <laughs> purchase your jewelry online point no. <laughs> little pleasures with big impact right you know before we wrap up this talk i'm actually thinking how do we help deborah bring her work to the regional level i mean it's very malaysia centric now but i think that this kind of work should not be just for malaysia and in malaysia how yeah. do we bring this to the philippines you know amina oh here's here's an idea deborah a couple of my friends uh, and I, we've been working with indigenous peoples in the Muslim Mindanao. Uh, for instance, getting their handwoven textiles. And uh, this, this friend of mine who's a fantastic designer, uh, sends them the design mm. and uh, they, they do it back home up in the mountains or in the islands. They send back the uh, embroidered or the handwoven pieces. And then uh, my friend uh, puts it together into haute couture. And wow. wouldn't it be great if we could host a, a meeting, Dina, and introduce uh, Deborah to friends who do this? I'm sure there are some in Indonesia. And then right. who knows? Maybe you can have a, um, a, a some kind of, of portal where you can have one-of-a-kind right. items and it's going to fund yeah, yeah. a sustainable right. um, you know, entrepreneurship for refugee women, for young girls, uh, Afghan refugees. Right. That's That might be worth considering. Yeah. But first, go back to jewelry. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. in Deborah's jewelry, because I, right. I really like the designs. 
So tell me, what inspires yeah. the design? Do the children come up with these designs? I mean, how, how do you do it? So we actually have two, for the jewelry, we have two groups. One of, one are handmade pieces. So we, we design the jewelry with the youth and ourselves internally, and we source the pieces and then we put it together in, in, our, in our workshop. And then the other aspect is we design it, but we get it, we outsource it to be made just because jewelry is a very complicated process. Yes. Um, so you have limitations when everything is purely handmade with limited uh, instruments, right? So we have two aspects of the jewelry in that sense. And, but we do design them based on, you know, the mood, what's happening. Like our recent ball uh, co collection is called Ball and Hoop, which is what I'm wearing now. Uh -huh. And it's basically sort of, we wanted it to be playful. We wanted it to be light, kind of take, bringing back a bit of a circus vibe, you know, when we're all we have childhood memories. And so we play a, a lot around with uh, balls and moving, moving uh, aspects on your necklaces and things. But recently for, for Eid, this year, we actually came up with a series of Arabic necklaces, which were really popular. And so you have these beautiful necklaces that have a mother of pearl or a Malachite base. And we have like words like love or faith in Arabic on the wow. necklaces. So those did really well. So we, we try to have um, jewelry that, you know, it's, 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 got a, it's got a message to it. I think mm -hmm. it's important. Um, and using a lot of Saba pearls. We use pearls from Saba as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, different elements like that where it means something to the person who's wearing it. That's fantastic. Maybe Deborah can design something for the Southeast Asia Women Peace Builders. Is Deborah already a part of that? Yeah, I was just about to tell, uh, send an invitation. <laughs> Nobody's filling out the form. So my most of my time is spending chasing people. I just need oh a logo. <laughs> I just need a pun. Please give me. I'll fill out the forms myself. But no, I, what I want to do is I'm also shooting. I've just shot off a short email to Melinda. She and Sanam actually lead uh, Wassel and I can. I think you should really talk to them. Mm -hmm. So um, they've not responded because they're like what, 12 hours you know, behind us. So I will introduce you on the mm -hmm. email yeah. uh, and I will take it from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But and Amina, also, also, I think Sanam yes. and Melinda are overwhelmed because we're trying to get our sisters mm -hmm. who are part of the network and who are, who are trapped in, in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. I think uh, Melinda, who's in uh, the United States right now, uh, has been able to get some assistance in getting those special visas. And Sanam is in London and she's doing the same thing. I think part of the Women's Alliance for Security Leadership, we probably have four or five uh, members of right. the network who each have their own organizations and their they're trapped and these women have been very vocal in the past. So it's, uh, we worry about, uh, about what's happening to them. So I think that's why it's, they've been a little slow in, in uh, responding, right. but definitely yeah. I think Deborah mm -hmm. would be a fantastic uh, member yes. if she does, because Deborah is also going to be giving ideas about yeah. how each of these women's organizations can make the organization sustainable by right. introducing the, the idea of uh, entrepreneurship, which is based on, on your local culture. Mm -hmm. So like uh, what we're trying to do in Muslim Mindanao, because we have traditions of hand weaving and the wood carving, how do you right. make that not just 
handicrafts that you sell to tourists, but you know, actual everyday yeah. little works of art like Deborah's uh, jewelry that will have a bigger, a bigger yeah. market. So I think the fact that Deborah, yeah. you know, knows a lot of fashion designers. I'm totally unfashionable. I just wear whatever they send me. But I can actually see because I love Kun Hui's work. Uh, the ones that he did, you know, the little bags that he did yes. with me. And maybe, I mean, uh, your daughter, right, knows yeah. all the designers. So maybe we can do a little collaboration there and people can just buy from the internet, from the website. Yep. But we'll have, to do, we'll have to do a meeting on about this. I'll talk to Ruby. No, I'll talk to a friend called Atik in Jakarta. She has a small social enterprise where she, where she does a lot of these clothes. Let me set up a meeting then. Yeah, we'll have a portal. We'll create a, okay. a portal. A it's portal, a regional thing. A portal to peace. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a thought. All right. Anyway, okay. this, has been, this has been really fun talking to Deborah, a true yeah. beauty queen with beauty and, and brains. Uh, yeah. Wish I had more of the beauty part of it, but hey, <laughs> I'm over 60, so no. uh, that's, have that's, that's fine as, as far as I'm concerned. No, but this has I'm... been so great, Dina. Thanks for bringing your friend over. Look, I mean, we were being overloaded with really intense stuff. I mean, I'm not undermining the other peace builders, me, but you know, when you hear, you, I think what Deborah said is true. You need some light in a darkness, you know, that he has peace building, what refugee, what advocacy is very serious stuff. But maybe sometimes, I mean, we all tend to look at the darkness more than, you know, good things. And that's an attitude that we all should do. So definitely, we have to talk. I'll send an invite and I'll talk to Atik about this. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you for having okay. me. I've had such a good time. Yeah. So oh, by the way, so Deborah, uh, oh. maybe you'd uh, like this chance to tell our listeners and uh, more than 30% are under 22 and yes. uh, where they can find your your jewelry, give them the web uh, the website and uh, let's well, bring them on board to peace. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, if you'd like to support the school with education, you can actually help fund a student's education. You can go to fuji.org, F-U-G-E-E.org, um, and you can click to the donate button to sponsor the child. Um, but if you want to get some pretty jewelry for your mom, for your girlfriend, for yourself, for your grandma, um, and we, we sell jewelry and other fun accessories as well, uh -huh. you can go to our website, which is fujila, F-U-G-E-E-L-A-H. Dot com. All right. Um, and we ship okay. internationally. Okay. Brilliant. So, Amina, we have to shop, okay? I'm in the Absolutely. shop. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm going to shout out again to my to my friends, uh, Mars yeah. Candy. She, yeah. uh, Deborah, sells international. So, you know, better yeah. open their the, your websites and start ordering. <laughs> okay. All right, then. So, thank you, Deborah. I'll be thank seeing you, you so soon. Much. Thank for you. our summit, I think you're moderating our summit. So, and Amina, you are talking, right? You will be speaking. Yeah, I will. Yes. And yeah, uh, I think I'm going to get a lot of inspiration from our, our talk with um, yeah. Deborah. And yes. look at how we who are trying to build peace, we're trying yeah. to protect our zones yeah. of peace, can mm -hmm. take inspiration from... Yeah little things uh, that are around us and uh, yeah. take inspiration in 
the children and their aspirations and dreams, their ideas, convert yeah. it into something that could lead to a sustainable enterprise. Because at the end of the day, the bridge of peace that Deborah was talking about cannot stand yeah. if the pillars are weak and the pillars, the women who are the pillars are going to be weakened if they cannot support yeah. themselves. And that's where Deborah's yeah. brand of entrepreneurship comes in. So I'm, I'm really glad we've had this conversation and it's going to permeate into our brain yeah. cells <laughs> and try and uh, yeah. influence the things we do in the future. So thank yeah. you so much, Deborah. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. We'll continue the conversation, yeah? Yes. Okay, take care. So in the meantime, this is Amina Rasul saying thanks for listening and right. bye from the Philippines. Selamat tinggal dari Malaysia. See you all soon. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.